So let's talk about the dilemma. I know you've all like seen a beautiful garden. From a distance, it looks beautiful. And then when you get up in the garden, you notice a lot of little weeds, right? Or you've seen a beautiful painting. And then when you get up really close to it, you see the flaws. Human beings are that way. Haven't you noticed? Sometimes we see a human from a distance and we think, oh, they're perfect. And then when we get really close to them, guess what you notice? So here's the challenge. As you date someone, the closer you get, what are you going to realize more than anyone else on this planet? Their imperfections. When you get two people close together, you're going to start to notice their imperfections. And some of them are going to bug you. And that's okay because you're bugging them with your imperfections. And you don't realize you are. The, the closer we get the more we are aware of the imperfections of other people. That's what caused so many people to turn on prophets, seers, and revelators. When you look at a distance and you saw Joseph Smith, you saw this great prophet, but when you got really close to his life, guess what you discovered? He's an, an ordinary guy with imperfections. And some people couldn't stand that and they walked away. Well, some people, I get, I get, probably the most common question I get asked is, what if there's just things about her that bug me? And I always respond, I guarantee there's things about you that bug her. So the question is, are they deal breakers or are they preferences? So when do you, how much of an allowance for imperfection do you need to grant? How much of an expectation that the person I marry is going to be flawed and there's going to be things that bug me? That was last week's, is allowing them to have a probationary state. God deliberately wouldn't let Satan take away our probationary state. Don't take away someone else's. Okay, got it. But now the question is, when do you run because change isn't going to occur? There needs to be an allowance for imperfections. But when do you draw a line and say, you know what? This is not going to be overcome. And this is going to break the deal. So when do you allow repentance? And when do you walk away because repentance isn't going to happen? Do you see that great dilemma? So we talked last week about granting a probationary state. Today I want to talk about what is Heavenly Father's expectation for us to grow? overcoming imperfections. And if we can see it in ourselves and see it in other people, then we can say, you know what? I'm marrying someone imperfect and so she, but both of us are growing. And that's okay. That's good enough for me. I trust her growth and I hope she trusts mine because we're growing. And I have evidence that we're growing. So what is God's evidence that we're growing? What is my evidence that I'm growing? And what might be my evidence that the person I'm going to commit spending my life with is growing? So let me teach you a doctrine. I don't, it frustrates me we don't talk much in the, in the church. But how do you gain salvation? How do you do it? The fact that most people can't explain that frustrates them. Do you remember? Sorry. Sorry, I'm getting a phone call, guys. 
Rachel, you still with me? Sorry, I got a phone call. So let's, let me teach. Do you remember the days when you had no idea how to graduate? Adam's way down that road. Do you remember, you remember the day where you were totally intimidated by how in the world to get a degree? And it seemed impossible. And you had no idea how to do it. Doesn't seem so hard now. Master, he has a master's degree. And looking back, he's able to say, yeah, I, I know what to do. At what point did the path ahead become clear enough that your confidence that you could do it jumped? Can you answer that question? Do you remember? At what point did the path ahead become clear enough that you were able to say, I can do this? Because I vividly remember being totally intimidated. I, I don't know how to do this. My kids often, they come out of high school, it's like, I don't know how to do this. And they're actually paralyzed by that until all of a sudden they see clear enough ahead, oh, I can do this, and their confidence just grows. Can you speak to that? <laughs> Maybe, right? But there comes a point where you say, I see my path ahead. So why is it that the celestial kingdom seems so impossible to obtain? Because you don't see the path to it. So let's talk about the path to the celestial kingdom. How do I get there? And the brilliant thing about our heavenly father is he says, let me send a God to earth to show you. What would it mean to you if Jesus came to earth and forgot everything and said, let me show you how to do this? Turn with me to section 93. This is a reality that I don't think very many people catch in terms of what Jesus did for us. Turn to Doctrine and Covenants section 93, one of the most beautiful sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, this is actually an excerpt from the book of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his cousin who watched him grow up, is telling us a truth. Anyone want to read? Starting in 12. I'm going to stop you a couple times, but you're my reader. And I, John, saw that he received none of the fullness at the first, but received grace for grace. In other words, let's interpret. Jehovah of the Old Testament Jehovah, God in premortal life, whom shall I send? Send me. Jehovah went through the veil and forgot everything. Did baby Jesus know he was Jehovah? No. He forgot everything. And he did that to show us how to progress. And the way he progressed is this phrase, grace for grace. That's the path forward, grace for grace. Jesus went through that path to show us what to do. Now notice, John emphasizes with repetition. Next verse, verse 13. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Notice what did he repeat? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The prince is marrying the sea witch in disguise. I just want to shout it out. Jesus, for Jehovah, forgot everything. 
in order to show us the way. He went grace for grace, and he went grace to grace. What does that suggest? Combine them. What does this one suggest? What does grace for grace suggest? Sounds like what? Kind of a give and a get, right? A give and a get. Grace for grace is a dance. Jesus danced with the Father. He gave, he received. He gave, he received. And you and I dance with Christ. We give and we receive. That's the grace for grace. And what does this one sound like? Large leaps and bound down you. Small little steps, right? Grace to grace. How is he moving forward? By giving and receiving, giving and receiving. That's how we, that's how Jesus did it. Now, one more time, notice the emphasis, notice the repetition, 14. And thus he was called the son of God because he received not of the fullness at the first. So he was called the son of God because he needed help. He needed someone to give when he gave. He needed to dance with someone. And the beauty is, guess who we dance with? Him who danced with someone else. Salvation is a give and a receive and a step forward. And a give and a receive and a step forward. That's how we do it. Now, why is John telling us this story? The whole reason this has been revealed. Two more, 19 and 20. I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of this fullness. This is how you do it. Don't create any other expectations for yourself. This is how salvation is made. I'm telling you this so you know how you're going to do it. You're going to come to the Father, and in a very long process, you can receive of a fullness. 20? For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore, I say unto you, you shall receive grace. You're going to go through the same process. Please create the realistic expectation of give a little, receive a little, move forward. Give a little, receive a little, little, move forward. That's how salvation is obtained. Not in leaps and bounds. So who are you looking for? Tell me who you're looking for in an eternal companion. Someone who's giving and receiving and moving forward. And if they have imperfections today, what do I say to myself? It's okay, so do I but we're moving forward. I don't need someone who's perfect. I need someone who's moving forward and will motivate me to move forward. So let's see if we can understand this grace for grace, grace to grace process. Let me give you two eternal rules. These are eternal truths. They are carved in stone. God obeys them. Rule number one is in verse 28. Here it is, really simple. What's rule number one? If you obey, you get more light. 
That's God's rule. He obeys that. If you obey, you get more. So if you give the gift of obedience, what do you receive? More light. Will you just know that? Number one, if you obey, you receive more light. Now, second principle we read back in section 82. You don't need to turn there. I'll flip to it. I know you know it. What happens if I have more light? What happens? Daniel, what happens if I have more light? I get more responsibility. I'm supposed to obey more. And that, would you all agree that that's an eternal rule? Those who have more light are expected to obey more. But what happens if you do obey more? You get more light. And then when you get more light, now one of those is God and one of those is me. Do you see those two coming together? So here's salvation. Here's the very, very simple process of salvation. So more light requires more obedience. If I do obey more, I get more light. And if I get more light, I'm supposed to obey more. If I do, do you see the grace for grace? Do you just see it right there in front of us? I see grace for grace, light and truth and steps forward. So let me illustrate. I, I, the scientist in me is saying, I gotta be able to graph this. If I can't graph it, it doesn't exist. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. So I have to be able to graph it. So let's graph light. This is how much light you have. Now this is the fullness of light that Jehovah had in premortal life, lost and regained. This is the fullness of light that God the Father has. And this is light zero. This is obedience. So this is someone who obeys no commandments. And this is someone who obeys all of the commandments, a fullness of the commandments, complete and perfect obedience. So God has a fullness of light and obeys. That's where God is. And I'm trying to get there. Now, how's the process? Tell me how we start. Does anyone start with zero light? Tell me what the scriptures have declared. Does anyone start with zero light? We know that, right? Everyone comes into the world with an additional gift of light. Let's call it light A. You always have more light than obedience. Do babies obey? I've had 10 of them and they don't. They do not understand the concept of obedience, but are they born with light? Now tell me what that light does inside them. It calls to them, it invites them. And as they yield to that light, someday that baby is going to hit obedience A, right? Someday he's gonna live, live up to the light that he has. Now what happens the moment we hit light A? Do you see it? Tell me what happens. Adam, 
I receive a gift. That's the grace I receive. I receive light B. But I'm just barely got to obedience A, right? Always more light than obedience. But what does that added light do? It calls to me. It opens my eyes. It lets me see. And if I obey, if I step up my obedience to match my light, what happens? I get more light. Do you see how to live your life? Do you see how salvation is obtained? Grace for grace, grace to grace. A give, a receive, and a step forward. Just like Jesus did. And that's how you're going to be saved. Now, let me illustrate. This room allows me to illustrate pretty well. Imagine this room is my life. And I'm born with just a little bit of light. Wouldn't you say, you know, this is kind of like the light that a baby comes into the world with, just a little sliver of light. But I have enough light to see. Now, bear with the analogy, this is a pretty bare room, but allow me to elaborate. My life is not bare. So allow me to elaborate. I have enough light to see that the furniture's a mess. I can see that. The desks are not in a row. The desks are a mess. So I decide I'm going to fix the room. I'm going to tidy up and I'm going to clean up the room. Now tell me what happens as soon as I tidy up the desks. Just a little. Now that seems like a lot. Can I show you the room at full light? Big difference, right? So going from no light to a little bit of light sure seems like a big change. It's not. But now what can you see? The light just increased because I, 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 I obeyed. And now I can see that the pictures are crooked. And it bugs me that they're crooked. I didn't know that before, but now I can see that they're crooked. Ready for the most important question I'm going to ask today? Why didn't I fix the pictures when I fixed the desks? I couldn't see them. I could not see that they were crooked. I didn't have enough light. So if the person you're dating hasn't fixed the pictures and it's simply because that light hasn't come on, do you see the injustice it would be in walking away? It would be a tragedy to walk away from that person who isn't fixing pictures that they can't see. So don't walk away if they haven't fixed something that they don't know is broken. It requires light to see that it's broken. But if they have enough light to see that the pictures are broken and they don't care, Tell me what Heavenly Father is going to do in my life if I look at those crooked pictures and I don't care. Tell me what you know about the Scriptures. You've all read the Scriptures. Tell me what the Scriptures suggest is going to happen if I look at the pictures with my added light and I don't care and I don't change them. Heavenly Father says, you know what? I love you. 
love you, my child, and I won't let you see him anymore. Whoops, I skipped. Sorry. I'll take it away. But even then, can I still decide to go back and fix the desks and bring that light back on? Can I turn that first light back on? Shoot, I keep blowing it. Sorry. Can I turn that light back on? There's the truth is my light will match my obedience. So either I'm growing or I'm not. Now, what happens if I fix the pictures? What happens if I decide I don't like these pictures, I want to fix them? I just get a little bit more light. And then if I take that light and I improve, And then finally, do you see how to grow? The way we make it to the to celestial kingdom is slow steps by receiving and fixing the small things that you don't, you didn't see before, Adam. There's no way you can get to sacrifice until you have established obedience. Sacrifice is the ability to take the light that I have and realize there's things I need to let go of. There's things that are preventing me from having more light that I need to let go of. Well, what is required to see that? I have to have turned the lights on through obedience. Great connection. So do you see how to measure your own growth and the growth of the people around you? Are we growing in light? Am I getting better? Am I fixing the pictures that I see are broken? Now, how long is this process? How long is this process? Well, let's go back to Jesus. How long was the delay between getting more light and increasing his obedience? How long did he wait to increase his obedience when he got more light? Nothing, right? Because if he does, he sinned. And if he sins, he can't atone. So how fast is he moving? When he gets light, how quickly does he take that next step? Super fast. Would you admit that Jesus is going faster than any of us possibly can? That's not my expectation. My expectation is not to go that fast. But go back to 93. How long did it take Christ to climb this ladder? How long did Jesus, Jehovah, take to go from the beginning to regain his knowledge? How long did Jesus go from birth to now he knows everything. Would you admit that when he was the Messiah, he knew everything? He had that knowledge restored. So somewhere along the line, he hit the fullness. Now, according to section 93, sorry, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see really well. I jumped to 83. All right, let's go to 93. Let's go back to 93. Now we read 12, 13, and 14, right? Didn't have the fullness, didn't have the fullness, didn't have the fullness. Now look at 16. What happened in 16? John bore witness that what? 
he received the fullness. Now, my theory is the dove that settled on him at his baptism was that sign, was the sign that Jehovah was back, that this was a God who remembered everything, that he had hit the fullness. I think that's what the dove represented. And John bore testimony that he did receive the fullness. But when does John suggest that came? How old was Jesus when the dove descended? 30. How long did it take Jesus to go from here to here, going lightning speed, faster than any of us will ever go? 30 years. It took a God 30 years. What are the chances you're going to do it anytime soon? Or even in this lifetime? How fair is it to expect your spouse to hit it anytime soon? So the question is, are you growing and are they? Are you improving line upon line? Now, a couple scriptures. Let me give you some promises. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Turn to the Book of Mormon. Let's go to 2 Nephi chapter 28. Go to verse 30. 2 Nephi 28, 30. This is salvation in one verse. Nephi got it. Nephi said, this is how it happens. Anyone want to reach out? Do you mind? Verse 30. Simple, right? If you receive what he's given you, he'll give you more. What does it mean to receive what he's given you? What does it mean to hearken to his precepts? You fix the pictures. They're crooked. Fix them. Heavenly Father only expects you to fix what you can see is broken. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So the question is, are you growing? And are they growing? There needs to be an allowance for transgression because none of us are perfect. But are they growing? You will probably date long enough to see improvements. Especially if you say, I really don't like that. That doesn't make me comfortable. They should never put you in that position again, should they? Because they've learned. They see clearly. You've given them enough light to see. So the question you can ask yourself is, is there evidence of line upon line growth in each other? So I would invite you to look back over your life and see, have I improved? Think about yourself five years ago. Are you the same person you are today? 
Have you changed? Are some sacred things more important to you? Do you take the gospel a little bit more seriously? Do you love deeper? Are you more patient? Are you more understanding? What is the greatest evidence that you are growing? I think you should take confidence because there's a problem, right? Do you see the dilemma? If you don't understand this process, what's going to look like is happening. Every time the light turns on, what do I see? Broken stuff. Every single time the light turns on, I see more broken stuff. If I don't understand what's going on, what will I, what's my perception? If you're not careful, you will think you're getting worse. But you're not getting worse. You're seeing things that you didn't see before. You're actually getting better. Knowing that you have things to work on is evidence that you're getting better, not that you're getting worse. The evidence that you're getting worse is that you don't care and you're losing light. But are you getting better? And can you see growth in the person you want to marry? Can you say, I'm not perfect, she's not perfect, but I'm growing and she's growing and we're going to do this together. There's that sweet spot. Allowing people to change. Allowing a tolerance for humanness and imperfection. But recognizing the difference between someone who's growing and someone who's not. I would have a hard time partnering with someone who doesn't care that the pictures are broken. I may not be able to see it, but there's a real difference between someone who doesn't care and someone who can't see it. Do you see that? Look for growth in yourself. Have confidence when you see growth in yourself. I'm going well. I'm, I am moving forward. Now let me end with what I think is the greatest promise in the scriptures. I think Nephi understood this process so beautifully, you'll find it all throughout his writings. And Nephi gives what I think is the greatest promise in all of Scripture, Section, or 2 Nephi 31. I think this is by far the most beautiful promise I've ever found in the Scriptures. How many times does the Father put His name on a promise? Usually He lets a prophet say it, right? If Lehi says, obey and you'll prosper in the land, I trust Nephi, I trust Lehi. I don't second guess Lehi. Every once in a while, Jesus comes in and puts his name on a prophet. Ooh, then it's real, a, a promise. When Jesus confirms it, how many times does the Father put his name on a promise? In all of my scripture reading, in all my life, I've only found it once. One time did the Father come down and say, let me put my name on that promise. Here it is in this verse. The Father put his name on a promise. Look what Nephi says. Wherefore, you must press forward. Are you moving forward? Is your potential spouse moving forward? Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ and, a, and a having a, brightness, a perfect brightness of hope. Faith, hope. A love of God, and the love of men. Faith, hope, charity, first commandment, second commandment. Man, that's just bringing the whole gospel all together, right? Faith, hope, charity. 
First commandment, love God. Second commandment, love men. If you're just living the basic gospel and you're improving. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end. The end isn't this end. The end is death end. Let me rephrase that. Nephi says, if you are on the path moving forward when you die, if you are grace for grace, grace to grace, moving forward, however slowly, if you are moving forward when you die, what's the promise? Thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. If I am moving forward throughout my life and I die moving forward, am I going to be in the celestial kingdom? If my spouse is moving forward, grace for grace, and she dies on the path, is she going to be in the celestial kingdom? Thus saith the Father. So somewhere you got to find that sweet spot between I know my spouse is going to be imperfect and I'm going to see those flaws better than anyone else. No one knows my flaws better than the woman who lives with me and spends her life with me. So be tolerant of imperfections. But know the difference between that and someone who's staring at pictures unwilling to change them. Because if you're growing and they're not, what's going to happen in that marriage? Frustration. Now, I do not believe we get light in the same order. I am confident that for me, light B is not what your light B is. And that's the beauty of Heavenly Father giving us light individually. Is it possible that you can't see something that your spouse can see? So be tolerant if they don't see it. And trust that if they're growing, they will see it. And they will correct it. If they're not growing, that's a different issue. Look for growth in yourself. Look for growth in your spouse. And if you both grow, what does the Father promise? You're going to make it. Does that help? That sweet spot? Now, are there people who are staring at crooked pictures and don't care that they're crooked? Yes, there are. But are there imperfect people that will eventually fix every broken picture and every broken thing in the room if you just let them grow and you grow with them? Yes. Do you see what you're looking for? Now I'm going to leave you with this thought is it is hypocritical to expect perfection and not offer perfection 
it is hypocritical to look for a growing person and not be a growing person. Every one of us in this room is looking at something broken in the room, aren't we? I know exactly what's broken in my room. Do you know what's broken in your room? Heavenly Father reminds me all the time. I see it very clearly. I know what's broken in my room. And I know what I should be fixing. And so if I fix that, if I work on fixing that, which I am, he'll show me something else to fix. As long as I'm doing that, I will make it to the celestial kingdom. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.